Welcome to Let's Do Lunch with me, Jenny Tishi, registered nutritionist and absolute foodie. Uh, absolute sports fanatic too, which is ideal because today we are going to be joined by Anna Hemmings, MBE. Now, Anna is Britain's most successful female marathon kayaker with a staggering 11 world and European championship medals and nine of those are gold. She's now a leading inspirational speaker on resilience and high performance. But by the age of 24, Anna had been world champion three times and competed at the Olympic Games. In 2010, in fact, she was awarded the MBE for her services to sport, and she achieved this against all the odds. At the peak of her career, Anna was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, and she was told by medical experts that she might never race again, and we will be talking about that today in today's show. She battled her way to full recovery and went on to win a further three world titles and compete at her second Olympic Games in Beijing 2008. And since retiring from sport, Anna has become recognised as a specialist in the field of resilience and the psychology of high performance. She's an accredited performance coach and founded Beyond the Barriers High Performance Training Consultancy. Anna works with CEOs and senior leaders through to middle management, designing and delivering resilience, leadership and high performing teams programs. She works globally with leaders and teams, helping them to develop the skills, attitudes and behaviours to deliver exceptional performance. Anna's unique combination of experience and elite sport, combined with 12 years leading a successful business and working alongside senior leaders, gives her a broad understanding of the challenges that leaders and teams face and how to overcome them to deliver outstanding results. Well, welcome. Anna that's an introduction um can you hear me Anna can yes lovely to wonderful be here thanks Jenny brilliant right let me just get some headphones on so I can hear you better I think this is the right one to do um so Anna this is um you know a new experience for us you and I've worked together before let me just see yes I can hear that better now um we've worked together before but we haven't actually had the opportunity to sit down and have a chat about what it is you do a little bit about your food journey and also actually about your chronic fatigue syndrome which I think is absolutely fascinating and I think so many people assume that high performance is all about up, 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 up. They don't think about any potential roller coaster or plateauing or anything that may get in the way of high performance. And I think that's going to be really interesting to discuss. Um, but Anna, can I just get a little, um, a little bit of background, food background from you uh, in terms of your sort of food backstory? Anything that was um, pertinent to you from a food perspective as a child? Any childhood memories that you have about flavours, textures, tastes, etc.? Oh, so oh, digging deep into the memory now, back to my childhood. Um, so I, I, what I do remember is being put off a lot of food at primary school. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, OK, it's a good start. Yeah, so um, but mainly puddings like I custard. I didn't eat custard for till I was well into my adulthood because it was just lumpy and disgusting. Semolina, rice pudding, um, any of those sort of you know, jam, roly-poly, sticky toffee, but anything like that, I just never, ever ate for many, many years, into, and probably quite recently even. Um, so I, that that's an early childhood memory. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't a fussy kid, though. I, I loved lots of different foods. I don't remember being a fussy child. I don't remember mum telling me that I was. Um, my mum was pretty healthy, what I do remember from, like, we had breakfast at our house was um, porridge, ideally, my mum's eyes, um, Weetabix or shreddies. And I, we never, ever had 
like Frosties, cornflakes, crisp rice krispies, anything exciting that kids like, like Sugar that. Sugar-coated, chocolate-coated, none of those. Yeah, all of that stuff, you know, Cocoa Pops, none of that. We'd never get any of that. And I was it, when I went to sleep over at a friend's house for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, there's a whole new world of cereals out there <laughs> <laughs> um, that my mum had never introduced us to. Um, you know, even toasted white bread with butter <laughs> was Brilliant. a novelty. Um, so we grew up in a household that was very healthy. Um, but, you know, you'd love this, Jenny. So we, if my mum would make spaghetti bolognese on a Wednesday night, Thursday morning, we'd get the bolognese. Actually, we'd get all of it on toast in the morning. Wow. That's, I've not heard yeah. that before. I've not even tried that. That's like, I love that idea. Using up leftovers, um, but always yeah, on toast. So, I mean, you're all over the leftovers, right? Yep. Leftovers for breakfast. And so my mum was doing that back in the 80s. We were having... Um, perhaps sometimes just the, the, you know, the mincemeat sauce on toast for breakfast, but sometimes a bit of the spaghetti thrown in on toast. I love that. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we didn't toast. even think it was that weird. Yeah, I, I love that. So then when you started getting into sport, I mean, ten, what age were you when you started getting into kayaking? It wasn't actually sort of like really, really young like we assume these days, was it? Well, so I was doing all sorts of sports from a very young age, um, but kayaking, I first stepped into a kayak just before I was nine. So really started getting into it properly around 10 um, and training quite regularly by 11. Okay. So and I was did, quite young. Did what yeah. you eat at home change? Did your parents acknowledge that you might need more fuel or were you just eating the same thing? Just double helping? Well, I think because my mum was always pretty healthy anyway, um, we nothing really changed in the beginning I guess as the training volume increased you know so at first you know you're training two or three times a week and it's it's not that intense you know you're only 10 11 so so nothing really changed but I probably was hungrier um so eating more but I think it it began to change when when we started to race and we were quite competitive and it was getting a little bit serious you know we're going to you know national championships and that kind of thing and and a lot of what we were doing was cardiovascular, you know, high endurance stuff, so high volume of training and racing. So I think my mum quite quickly realised that we needed energy um, and we needed lots of fuel. So I guess the volume of food just went up rather than what we ate at that stage. We weren't particularly um, well-educated in terms of sports nutrition, but we ate healthily anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like that. I like the fact that your mum was, I mean, your mum sounds a bit like me, which I, I think is brilliant because I feel like, you know, I'm probably doing what I'm doing as a result of what I did for a living, but she was doing it intuitively, uh, which is wonderful. But- yeah. Well, do you know what was interesting? So she would, you know, we always ate brown bread, brown rice. Um, we, you know, all of those whole grains and we ate them because they were healthy but it wasn't until later on that I realised actually it was useful to eat this because it would give me more energy, more sustained, that sustained energy. Yeah. And so eventually that became a, that was the, for me, everything was about performance and fueling for performance, fueling for energy rather than necessarily for health. Yeah. Um, yeah. That wasn't, obviously I needed to be healthy, but my priority was to fuel my body with food that was going to give me energy and be able to sustain a training session and then refuel after the training session. So actually, whilst my mum brought us up on, you know, the whole grain and the, and the brown bread and all of that, 
it, it was from a health perspective, but eventually it became, for me, the energy perspective. I think that's really interesting as well as a, as a parent, and we'll come on to this a bit later, but that if that is the way that you are um, brought up, it's interesting to see how it then manifests in your children. But also the fact is that you had an objective that you wanted to achieve performance and therefore you had an incentive to want to eat well as well. So it wasn't like your mum was saying one thing, but you wanted to do an entirely different thing because you were rebellious. It was like, well, actually, this is working for me and this is fueling my performance so this is a really good thing and I think as a parent you kind of think well you do want your children to have objectives if they're not sporty just it is about being healthy it's not about necessarily you know the way we look or our body shape or anything like that eating well it it should be about finding your own objective shouldn't it yeah definitely and so that I think you know maybe when we were I don't remember but you know like six and seven and eight and you know everyone else was eating rice krispies or something that was annoying but when I was older you know, that around that 11, 12 years old, it was like, okay, it doesn't, you know, maybe it doesn't taste as nice maybe, but it was just what we were used to. So we didn't really know any different. Yeah. And yeah. then it became that objective for, well, I was so focused on what I was doing that, well, I'll just eat what I've got to eat to make me better, to make me go faster, to make me train harder. And it was as simple as that for me. I mean, I do love food. I, I enjoy eating nice foods. Um, but for a long time, it was about what's going to help me perform. That's a mindset it's as thing. Simple as that. Yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. So then, fast forward a little bit to when you became um, more serious in your sport. What sort of nutrition advice did you receive? I mean, I know we're talking about a slightly, without giving away your age too much, but we're talking about <laughs> a slightly different time here. And I know from my own, um, you know, hockey career that nutrition advice changes, Chevrolet changed quite a lot. So, what sort of advice were you receiving back then? Yeah, so so I'll give it away. You know, we're talking early nineties um, when I was getting quite serious. I'm in my you know teenage years, and I yeah. So in in those days, so it wasn't. I was doing an endurance sport, and it was all about the carbs. Yeah, it was just like carbs, carbs, carbs. We've got to fuel. We've got to you know you've got to eat lots of carbohydrates to get you through the session. That was the main advice. And one thing that I do remember, and I stuck with throughout my whole career, was thirty minute window post training. You've got to fuel. You've got yeah. to you've got to get that um, tr- that changed to more protein based, you know, particularly after the weight training, things like that. But in the beginning, it was just you've got a 30 minute window. Your energy levels need your 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 stores need replenishing. And the quicker you can do it, the better. Um and so we were on a mission every time it was like everyone was there in the changing room, got to eat, got to eat <laughs> within 30 minutes of coming off the water. Um you know, you've got a certain amount and then you would have your proper meal when you got home. Um, but yeah, so that, that was it. And then I guess, and we didn't have loads of nutritional advice at that stage, but it, it, it came over the years and, and I actually paid for a nutritionist at one point Well, my mom probably did. Um, and we learned about protein. Um, so I eventually, that was probably, you know, early nineties when we started to get a bit more clued up about protein and building muscle, because whilst it was an endurance sport, the Olympic discipline was actually, um, more, well, there was more, it was, it was sprint. Um, so it was more speed. We needed to do a lot of weight training. I wasn't naturally super strong, so I needed to build muscle. Um, I was always told I was too small and not big enough and strong enough. So I was on a mission to get stronger um so I was keen to hear about anything that could help me build muscle faster so then protein became a big thing and then not just refueling with carbs but actually taking on the protein post weight training session or post all the sessions actually um so that became big um and did you do that through food or were you doing that through supplementation 
both. Okay, yeah. so what sort of things so, were you eating? Um, what was I eating specifically? Um, what, in terms of protein? Yeah, the protein-carbohydrate combination that we were using. Well, after. actually, so the, the protein was pretty much was supplements. Yeah. Um, so there yeah. was, you know, the shakes and there was a special... I worked with a nutritionist who worked with a lot of athletes. He worked with Paula Radcliffe um, and various other athletes. And he had this um, supplement that you had to add hot water. It tasted like a little soup. It was really nice. So savoury, not sweet. It was savoury, yeah. yeah. And it was, um, you just added some hot water. So I would go around every training site. I'd have this little thermos flask and my little, um, you'd take two scoops of this protein and you'd put it, you add it to hot water and then you'd drink it. It was like a little soup. Um, so I used to drink that. But um, yeah, so I don't, I didn't really have, you know, it wasn't like I was eating a steak, you know, <laughs> you two, two minutes after training or yeah. anything like that. Um but I would probably, I would have chosen, you know, a cereal bar that was high protein, for example, um, rather than a tin of tuna or something. Um, it was more the carbs, I guess, that we were eating a combination of food, you know, your banana or, or, or the, you know, the sports drinks. I can't even remember the brands that we used to drink, but we were definitely into, because the training was so high volume, we would have the carbohydrate drink on board whilst we were training and then post-training and the protein it was yeah yeah that we makes sense a lot, a lot of calories in quite required yeah and then so it sounds like to me you followed the advice that you were given whenever you were given it you followed it religiously you would lap it up it was really important to you to try and make those tweaks and changes because for you the ultimate objective was high performance but then how did things change I mean or did they change at any stage that you were responsible for um, looking after yourself. I mean, it sounds like you're very motivated. You you had a great background. Your mum created great food at home, really healthy, excuse me. But when you started to do it for yourself, when you're responsible for your own nutrition, did that change anything at all? Or did you just stick with it even more religiously because now you had control? Yeah, um, I just carried on doing the same thing. I mean, I I think my nutrition changed over the years, but based on the advice I was being given um, and the nutritionist that I worked with. But it it wasn't a case of, you know, I I, I didn't leave home till I was about 27. So I was quite old by the time I was having to cook my own food. That said, I did go to uni, did cook my own food at uni, did do a lot of training camps abroad, having to cook food abroad and all of that. So I was regularly cooking my own food. But... um, yeah, it didn't, it, I would, it didn't change just because I was cooking it. Um, I got to choose what I cooked, but, you know, the food was healthy still. It was still the combinations of, you know, the, making sure that I've got those, the protein, the carbs, the vegetables, you know, it all was the same thing. And I did do it religiously. Whatever I was told with anything in my career, if someone was giving me advice and I trusted their opinion and they said, you need to do this, I did it yeah. um, to a T. Like, so one, this new one nutritionist I worked with, he was all about um, the alkaline um, foods and, and helping to create the pH balance, the right pH balance. Um, I didn't properly understand it at the time, um, but he told me I needed to drink um, to squeeze freshly squeezed lemon every morning before any consuming anything at all. Yeah. So I would literally take lemon and a squeezer with me everywhere I went. Um, and I would have my squeezed lemon juice, no water. I just net back squeezed lemon juice before as soon as I woke up 
I just, I just love that. I love that. We, as you know, I work with um, you know young athletes today, and you know often I'll say you know they'll say to me, oh, but we're in a hotel room and it's really difficult. And then you actually give them a few ideas <laughs> for bits of equipment that they can. T- I never thought about a lemon squeezer though, um, but bits of equipment they could take with them, and they and they're really receptive to it because actually it does it puts you back in control, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, now I don't know why I didn't just have a fork and just squeeze the lemon into it, but I probably wanted to get maximum juice out of the lemon if I needed a proper squeezer. Um, but yeah, I, and I think people just thought I was weird. They're like, why are you drinking lemon juice now? Yeah, I no, I love like, that. Well, it's, you know, it's still something that, that is, I mean, it gets good press. There's a, a good reason for it. But, uh, you know, it, and again, in terms of in, increasing your um, ability to break down food and take nutrients out of the food that you're eating, it, you know, it is a proven thing. So I can see why you were advised to do that. And it was quite ahead of its time by the sounds of it. Um, yeah, it was. And it, But, you know, for me, it was that, it was those marginal gains. It was like, right, if it, that's really simple. If all I've got to do, I'm going to get, you know, a little edge from drinking some lemon juice I'm doing it that's easy peasy I can do that one uh, that's yeah. brilliant um, and then so I mean as an athlete you have to eat a huge amount of food but you are trying I mean you're we're talking marathon kayaking actually just give the listeners a, a view on what sort of distances we're talking about here because that will give us an understanding of the amount of training you were required to do yeah, so a, a marathon race was, um, in the beginning, in my early career, was the same distance as a, as a running race, um, 26 miles. They reduced the distance over time. And by the time at the end of my career, in the, you know, uh, 2007 was my last marathon race, um, it was down to about 22 miles. But so we're talking, you know, uh, in the two, two hours, 22 hours, 30 minute mark. So like, a, like you know, the top elite runners running. And that's why they reduced it, actually. So it'd be in line with that kind of time. Um, but in the early days, it was more like three hours. Um, so, yeah, so long race. But the training to, to, to get to that point where you could, you know, perform at that highest level for that amount of time. You know, we were training four to five hours a day, six days a week. Um, you know, so high volume of training in the wa- on the water, in the gym, in the wintertime, running, swimming, you know, so lots of cardiovascular training. Um, so yes, yeah, we ate a lot. And it, it was only the other day when I was sort of, I was making some, I was making some rice and I used to use a mug to measure out portions. And if there was two of us, I would pour out a whole mug for two people. Right. Now a whole mug probably feeds four of us. <laughs> different needs the volume of food that i eat now is just like a fraction of what i used to eat at the time i was like that's That's what you needed that's what i needed um but yeah so yeah we did eat a lot I see I suffer from the same thing but for very different reasons but I'm, I'm the youngest of seven and I watched my mum cook for seven children and two adults for so many years that when I first started cooking for our family I was like whoa why have we got such big portions on our plate <laughs> I'd only ever watched big portions be cooked um so given that volume of food and given the little amount of time you had um did you develop any hacks that would be maybe useful for listeners when it comes to eating volume quality but quickly um, I didn't really, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we would do usual thing, you know, like batch cooking a little bit, you know, if there was any kind of leftovers that we weren't going to use, you know, that was going in the freezer. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I just used to cut the, you know, like the pasta bolognese and the risottos and, you know, anything with rice and, um, stir fries and you know that kind of stuff where I can get in just throwing in lots of vegetables making sure it's got protein in it 
but I didn't spend hours. I, whilst I did absolutely cook everything from scratch, we, I hardly ever ate a ready meal. I was kind of against my religion. Um, I wasn't getting takeaways or anything like that. And we, I didn't have a slow cooker or anything like that. So, but those kind of meals I could cook in half an hour and, and I, you know, we'd come home from training and I had nothing else to do other than cook my dinner, but that was a high priority. It wasn't like I was getting, you know, I needed to go out or I was having to do well. I, yeah, at that stage I wasn't doing uni work or schoolwork or anything. So my priority was to come home and cook and eat and then you know so it didn't matter if it took me half an hour to cook a meal and knowing what you know Um, now about um you know some of the ways in which you cook now is there any advice that you give to young athletes that may find themselves in a similar position to you training long hours you know out in the water in the gym etc etc that you could using today's knowledge um advise them that would be quick and easy ways to prepare good quality food in volume yeah so now i have a slow cooker um so um obviously of your recommendation um (laughs) i i would definitely be more into putting something in a cast you know in a in a slow cooker so that when i came home from training it was done it was there it was ready that would be amazing so i would have done that you know because we were off early in the mornings but i would have come back from my morning session definitely the idea of putting you know got a bit of time between the next session go and put something in the slow cooker leave it for six hours come home from training at you know half six seven o'clock dinner's ready yeah amazing because when you're tired and you know it is kind of the last thing you want to do but I never skipped it because you have to do it but yeah the idea of having the food there ready it's done that would have been amazing that's just you just took it as part of your job right okay well look let's take a brief pause here and then uh, when we come back we're going to be talking about your um, chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis which must have come as quite a surprise so one moment the voice of the thames valley river radio i think i like it Uh, you give one quick twitch and the thing is done Okay, so welcome back. I'm Jenny Tishy. This is Let's Do Lunch. And this is a show all about, as the name suggests, food, but also nutrition. And today um, I'm very, very happy to be joined by Anna Hemmings, MBE, who is talking to us about her career as a high-performing athlete. So um, she was the winner of nine gold medals. That's World and European Championship medals. She's Britain's most successful female marathon kayaker, but also now in her own right, uh, one of the leading specialists in the field of resilience and psychology of high performance. So we're learning, learning lots. But Anna, tell us a little bit about um, your chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. How did it come about and how did that, ha- how did that affect your career? So I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome um, at the peak of my career, really. I was around 20, I was 25. Um, and yeah, it, it hit me like a train. You know, I was wrecked, rendered in a near permanent state of exhaustion, um, devoid of all energy. You know, even sleep wouldn't allow me to recoup any sense of, of energy. Um, and it, it's a really misunderstood illness there's a lot of mystery and mystique about what it is and what causes it a lot of doctors don't have any recommendations for treatments for it um yes there's a lot of controversy actually over what causes it and how to treat it so that was one of the most frustrating things in the beginning was just not knowing first of all not being diagnosed because an immediate assumption was I'd overtrained um and I'd had sort of small episodes of this for probably at least year and a half two years of 
periods of, you know, three or four weeks when I was just exhausted, couldn't train. And they're like, oh, you've overtrained. But by the time I would, I really just, you know, couldn't train anymore. I was hardly training. So it wasn't overtraining because it was just like, I can't be overtraining. I'm doing half the training anyone else in my training group is doing. So I just, it's not that. And I knew in my heart this wasn't overtraining because I just, this felt different. This was like fatigue on another level. You know, as an athlete, you're tired all the time from training. Your muscles are achy. Um, but this was something else. Um, I didn't have any other symptoms with it. You know, I didn't have a cold and a sore throat. It didn't come following a virus or an illness or anything like that. Um, but anyway, to cut a long story short, I did eventually get diagnosis for that. But then they went, OK, so you've got chronic fatigue syndrome. It's been going on for six months. It probably is now. Um but we still don't know how to help you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was working with the team GB doctors and they were just like trying to get me integrated and return to exercise, slowly building up using a heart rate monitor to monitor the volume or the intensity of the training. So it was really, really light, low level, you know, almost like walking and going for a walk type pace. Um, I did that for months. It didn't work. So I tried lots of different treatments, um, but yeah. So, but but all the meanwhile, you know, this is this is two thousand and three. Um, so I had the world championships that year that I couldn't partake in. I was training, I, hopefully, for the Athens two thousand and four Olympics that passed me by. You know, so all of the time, it's like the clock's ticking in my mind, going, you know, all these these events that are my ambitions and you know dreams that are just I can't can't train for and can't participate in how did that make you um, feel mentally I mean your part of your identity is attached to your sport you know it's a huge part of your identity when you're at the level that you were at that stage so how did that affect you mentally yeah it was it was really tough as you can imagine frustrating people don't understand it as well so they don't know why you're not training and they don't really get it and what's not looks like there's nothing wrong with you what you know what are you just uh, you're going to retire. You've have you had enough? You know, are you scared? You know, whatever. I don't know all these things, but and then just yeah, not being able to do what I dedicate my life to doing. Um, watching other people do it, not being able to do it, not knowing why I can't do it, not knowing how to, not being in control of how to get back to doing this again. Um, so yeah, devastating, and. Yeah, so that so that was really hard, um, and it's like, well, who am I, and what am I doing? Um, yeah, what, what do I do with my life? And during well, I that, can't do what? Yeah, I was going to say during that period. I mean, how what happened to you health wise? I mean, clearly, you know, your body isn't functioning as it should be. Clearly, you're feeling absolutely exhausted. You said you weren't bedridden with it. So, what were you able to carry on doing? So I, um, yeah, I wasn't bedridden. Um, I, the main thing was I just, I couldn't train. I, I couldn't have the energy to go and do more than 10 or 15 minutes in my kayak without my muscles aching, without feeling absolutely shattered. Mm. So I could go, you would see me, you know, I could walk down to the shops. I could, you know, I could do stuff, um, but I would just be wiped out afterwards. Yeah. So that, that was it more. Because I guess I had the, you know, I was never going to let myself just be, I just couldn't, I had to get out and I had to do things, but it would take its toll. And I would just be like, yeah, I remember I actually went on holiday with my sister, um, at one summer in that period. And I remember we were walk, we were out, we were walking somewhere and I was like, Oh God, I just need to sit on that bench. Um, 
and we weren't even walking far or intensely. I was just like, oh, I just need to sit down. Um, just that kind of fatigue, which was just so, you know, I was doing marathon races for oh, a really God. high level for yeah. three hours. Um, and then I have to stop and pause and sit on the park bench, um, <laughs> you know, and this just this muscle ache to the point where it was painful. Well, my muscles, you know, just holding my hands up in the shower to wash my hair, Um for more than 10 or 15 seconds, my muscles ache, you know, trying to dry my hair. You know, when you're, I've got long hair like you, you know, drying your hair with a hairdryer and your hand, your arms raised. I couldn't raise my, I couldn't hold the hairdryer up that long because my arm was just achy. Wow. Um, so it was that kind of thing as opposed to, I feel really unwell. I'm in bed and I'm, you know, got a sore throat and a flu and I've got a temperature. It wasn't that kind of illness where you're just like, I have to be in bed because I can't do anything. It was, yeah, but just, it's it's still where it's taking away, you know, you from you. It's yeah. taking, you know, the biggest part yeah. of you really at that point in time. And did you find that um, the way you ate, you know, and the food that you ate during that period of time changed? Because, um, I, I, I mean, as I've said already, I, I ate really healthily already. Mm. Um, so I had a good diet. I guess the volume of food changed. I wasn't as hungry. So I didn't eat as many things, as many as volume of food. Um, you know, my mum was all over the, the supplements and was like, right, let's see, what are you deficient in? And I did go and see nutritionists. I did see, I saw various specialists. I'd had all my bloods taken, but there was nothing really, I wasn't really deficient in anything. Um, so nothing was really pointing to, right, you've got, you know, it would have been brilliant. I would have loved to have gone to one of those people and they said, right, you're deficient in iron. Or actually I was a little bit, always a bit low on iron and I took supplements for iron, but that was nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I would wanted them to say you need B12 injections or something, which I think I did have at one point. Um, but, you know, there was nothing like that. So, yeah, that, so that, that was, you know, a dead end. Um, I did... This is when I learned, actually, so I did work with this one chap who I learned um, about glycemic index. Good, yeah. Um, So he taught me all about, you know, the the GI foods, which ones were going to give you quick bursts of energy and which ones are going to give you more longer sustained energy. And so whilst I'd probably been eating quite a lot of those kind of, you know, the the right GI type foods already, I wasn't aware of it. So I had a greater awareness of that and also combining foods. So the whole combining, you know, if you are going to eat something with a little bit higher GI and a bit more sugary, then, you know, add some protein with it and you're going to slow it all down. So, you know, the you're adding nuts to all my snacks, you know, having peanut butter on lots of the like nut butters, almond butters. I love that. Um, you know, so you know, all the stuff that you and I talk about in our corporate work about, you know, carrots and hummus and, you know, adding all those proteins. So I learned about that, actually. It didn't, unfortunately, change my symptoms because it, that wasn't the root cause of no, what exactly. was causing me to be ill. Mm. But I'm sure it helped. Um, and it it was something that I've I've um, had in the back of my mind for my nutrition ever since. Yeah, so um, it sort of cemented all of your, your knowledge. But it sounds to me yeah. like... Uh, and I'm not suggesting that any one cause um, or when any one thing is the cause of chronic fatigue, but, you know, certainly diet, if diet has been a contributing factor and you change it, it can help. But of course, with you, what you're saying is you were already eating really well yeah. and listening to all of the advice. So there wasn't anything majorly wrong with that. There shouldn't have been any deficiencies on your part unless you had problems absorbing. So actually, then it wouldn't have been a contributing factor to your recovery per se, just like you say, cementing your knowledge. So what do you think did um, contribute to your recovery um before I answer that I, do, I totally agree with you and I think what 
in terms of the nutrition and my and the illness. But and I think one of the perhaps I don't know for sure, but perhaps one of the reasons why I didn't suffer as badly as as some others or wasn't bedridden perhaps was because I I was on top of the nutrition. Yeah, um, because. I know I work with a foundation called the Chrysalis Effect and they look at lots of different components of recovery. And there's a, there's a, there's a wheel of components. And one of those components is, uh, is nutrition. There's eight of them that they look, they focus on. One of them is nutrition. So they do absolutely look at nutrition and that it has, they have seen that to be a really important factor in helping people recover. Um, and so absolutely nutrition can play a role, but it just didn't for me. Yeah, because I yeah. was all, I was over it, or you know, I was on it already. Um, so I ended up doing a treatment. Um, so what, another thing with nutrition, I did try lots. I did try a few different diets. I did try. I tried the elimination diet, which was slowly eliminating practically all types of food. Um, and I remember trying to do the sugar one and realizing, and then looking at labels for the first time ever and realizing, God, the sugar's in absolutely everything. Um, That's a toughie that one. What, <laughs> yeah, what actually am I going to eat? Um, whilst I didn't have a high sugar diet, but when you nail it down it's like sugars in soy sauce or you know everything yeah um but that was so stressful trying to eliminate everything that it was just wasn't worth it um but anyway back to the question so I did reverse therapy reverse therapy is what allowed me to recover from the illness um and that's the treatment having tried lots of different things from you know acupuncture through to you know all, all sorts of things um and yeah, reverse therapy recognizes that the mind and the body are intrinsically linked. Um, and this is a mind body on this and it's, um, the symptoms are, it's, I'm not very good at explaining the science behind the, the theory. Um, but the symptoms are like alarm bells going off in your body, your body's way of telling you that there are a variety of things that are going on in your life. It might be um, relationships, it might be environment, it might be pressures, it might be, you know, all sorts of things. And they, these triggers are causing symptoms and the symptoms are alarm bells, like your body's way of saying, you need to change something. You need to do things differently. Um, and um, they just keep ringing louder and louder until you make change. And yeah, and so that so it was a reverse therapy that allowed me to recover. And is that still something? Is it the Chrysalis Foundation that they still recommend? No, so the Chrysalis Foundation wasn't around when I experienced chronic fatigue syndrome. So I've only worked with them um, in the last seven or eight years. Um, so reverse therapy was founded in, in like two thousand and four. So I was quite an early patient, um, and I recommend both. So so there are correlations with the t- with reverse therapy. They're two different things, mm-hmm. but there are similarities in the way that Chrysalis Effect works and reverse therapy um and i absolutely recommend both of them um my own my experiences with reverse therapy because that's what i did um however i have a lot of understanding of the way chrysalis effect works and i recommend that as well okay um and so, so when yeah, you... i highly recommend both of those and and i absolutely believe from the bottom of my heart that people can recover i know there are people who have suffered for 10 years for 20 years and i have I know that they have recovered through both of those treatments or one or the other of those treatments. Um, so there is hope for many, many people who get told you can't recover. This is it. Um, I highly recommend that you go and research one or two of those things um, because many, many people are recovering with that. That's, that's brilliant. And I think if anybody, um, any athletes particularly, but if anybody is listening in that is suffering from chronic fatigue, then those two 
bits of advice you've just given there could be absolutely invaluable. But I think also that you are a testament to the fact that you not only can recover, but you can go on to achieve great things. And actually, by the sounds of it, you probably learned from your experience. Don't we all learn from experiences? But you've learned from the experience of chronic fatigue and you've helped. That's helped you do what you do today, which we will talk about in just a moment. Let's just take a break. The voice of the Thames Valley. River Radio. I think I like it. You give one quick twitch and the thing is done. Okay, welcome back. This is Jenny Tisha with Let's Do Lunch. This is a show all about food and nutrition. And today we're joined by Anna Hemmings, MBE, who is Britain's most successful female marathon kayaker, but also now a leading expert in the field of resilience and the psychology of high performance. So we've been talking all about uh, food and nutrition. Anna, we particularly just focused um, more deeply, actually, on your chronic fatigue uh, diagnosis and how you recover from that, which is absolutely fascinating. But let's fast forward to where we are today. You are a uh, busy working mother and I think that's uh, that should be acknowledged because it's never easy trying to run a business and raise children not just on your own of course you do have help don't you from a very willing husband <laughs> but and it's important to acknowledge that I think in the context of the fact that we are all trying to you know do our best aren't we as parents and I think um, if you could give us a little view and insight as to how sort of nutrition and food fits into your life today you know we talked a little bit about when you were younger but but what about today yeah so I think you know because of my mom you know bringing us up with healthy food I did it you know I ate healthy food all my life because of my sport it's just we continue to eat healthy food um and it doesn't feel like I'm trying to eat healthily doesn't feel like I'm going out of my way to or let's be really healthy today you know people kind of go oh I bet you eat really healthy I'm like well I just eat normal um, because that's what's normal for me. Um, and, and actually, as you well know, it is possible to eat nice food. That's healthy food. And, <laughs> Shock um, yeah. And so, and I love food. I love having tasty food. I don't, you know, now I, I used to, as I said, used to eat for fuel, but now I eat for pleasure. Cause I just, I want to eat food. That's nice. Um, it's not just about performance anymore. I want to enjoy my meals. Um, and I've been really, um, you know, my kids are eight and 10 now, but ever since they were eating food, I was, you know, wanted to make sure I was on a mission that they would not be fussy children and that they would eat. And I, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes that's not in your control and some kids just, you know, won't eat certain foods. But, um, and I also, from as early as I could, I never made two meals. It was never like my kids are going to eat kid food and then we're going to have another meal later. I didn't have time for that. There was just no time for me to go, right, you can eat one thing and then later on I'll cook something else for us. It was like, I'm doing one meal a day. That's it. Uh, well, you know, one evening meal. Um, so yeah, they, you know, I make sure we all eat the same food. Um, now, you know, even the last uh, two years, we all eat at the same time generally because we're <laughs> all at home. Um, and so, you know, we get to eat a little bit earlier with the kids, which is really nice. Um, yeah, I've pushed my kids a lot to eat spicy food, to eat a variety of foods, you know, so if I make a curry, I'll make it hot 
Um, but I'll just add some yogurt in their portion so that to cool it down a bit. That's it. I'm like, I'm not, this is what we're having. You're going <laughs> to yeah, take it, it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> take it or leave that. it. I'll add some yogurt. And I take, I just put less and less yogurt in every time so that they get their spicy tooth, you know, and, and learn to. And the first time we ever had an Indian takeaway with the kids, I was like, yes, we've done it. The kids will eat the same food. <laughs> we got we've arrived. <laughs> yeah. And we can eat a Thai takeaway, you know, a Chinese, like, you know, anything, not that we eat loads of takeaways at all, but, um, you know, go out for dinner. I'm like, they're going to go to the food, the places we want. We're not going to end up in pizza every time because I don't want to eat. I don't really like pizza that much. Um, so I was like, I, I want to make sure that they are exposed to a whole variety of foods regularly. And I, and, it, and they do complain sometimes about what I put in front of them, but I just keep doing it. And I'm like, well, if you don't like that, but take it out, take out the mushrooms, or <laughs> take Absolutely out those kind of lonely beans or whatever, or, yeah. um, just I'm not changing it you're going to learn and you're always um, going to have to do that I mean wherever they are in the world they're always going to have to you know whatever they're served to make make take out what they don't live in on the mushrooms take them out you know just yeah yeah but I'm like I don't want to avoid going on holiday I don't want to have to go on holiday and not go to the restaurants we want to go to because of the kids yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're coming and you're going to eat and they actually now they get really annoyed with the kids menu yeah so like mom it's the same thing it's like it's fish and chips it's burgers it's like fish fingers it's pizza it's pasta with tomato sauce like i don't want to eat that they don't even want that anymore and they're eight and ten and they're like i'm bored of that i want to eat off the adult menu i'm like oh yeah it's a bit expensive on the adult menu (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can have a half portion uh so from children (laughs) to boardrooms the work that you do now obviously you are uh you know working you said middle management but yeah senior management what to what extent does food and nutrition come into the work that you do with them and I know you're talking about leadership and performance and resilience but do you find that you know sport nutrition come into the work that you do there yeah definitely so um you know as you know the work that we do is really important in terms of everything whilst there you know people bring us in on a context of corporate well-being and you know help helping educate helping to educate their staff in terms of nutrition and health a, a big part of it for me is around performance again you know um it's around you know as you know we do a lot around energy and so in the workplace that's so important like because everyone just comes home exhausted at the end of the day and like you know my husband was and isn't so much guilty of this anymore now I've tried to educate him but you know would come home and just diving through the door straight to the fridge, you know, because he's starving because he hasn't eaten since midday or, and it has probably eaten not much at all or skipped lunch altogether and eaten at four or, you know, and so starving. And, and then half the time, so I'm so hungry, I, you know, can't be bothered to cook. And then it's a vicious cycle. So trying to educate people about how they can sustain energy better throughout the day. If they eat right you know, they're not going to get that mid-morning craving for sugar and the biscuits and caffeine if we eat the right breakfast. You know, when they're not going to fall asleep at lunchtime, you know, post-afternoon, mid-afternoon if they eat an appropriate lunch. You know, so just educating people that, again, yes, it, luckily, as you know, they too go hand in hand. The healthy foods are the foods that are going to give you energy. They're going to give you that sustained energy. So actually we're kick- ticking the box of health as well as energy and performance in my mind. Um, so... And then helping people to realize that actually there are certain foods that I, I can have a snack 
if I have the right kind of snacks and that's going to see me through till dinner time. Yeah. And I'm then going to have the energy to get home and make an appropriate meal that's going to give me the energy to go to the gym or, you know, all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's about performance and having the, to be able to concentrate and focus throughout the day so that I can perform at my best in my work. It absolutely does come down to that. And I think whilst, you know, you've had that objective from a very young age, you wanted to eat to fuel your body for performance. And it's still there, right? You still feel that it's important in your working day that you eat to fuel performance. And it's about imparting that knowledge to other people that perhaps don't have the background that you have, that this is actually something you can achieve. You can perform better as a result of eating well and thinking of food as like the messenger um, to the rest of the body. So um, Anna, we are uh, running out of time here. So I've got some quick fire questions uh before we finish off today's show uh they are related to food and they're a bit random but i'm going to fire them at you so see how you get on with these and um, what's your death row meal oh this is tricky because i have so many different foods that i like um yeah had to pick just one can i get a starter a main course and a dessert yeah why not it's your yeah, last meal okay. so i it's just really weird. So the starter would have to be some kind of tricolore because I love avocado. That's like my favorite vegetable fruit, whatever you call it, of all time. Yeah. And I love, but it might be with a really amazing mozzarella or burrata and yes, some yum. amazing like Italian tomatoes with, you know, lovely dressing and, but they have to be the good Italian tomatoes, not just plain, boring, bland ones. And then I would, this doesn't follow on in terms of, it doesn't really match, but my favourite main course meal would be something like a red Thai curry. Yeah. Um, with not? coconut coconut rice. Mm-hmm. Have to have the coconut rice. And Sticks and Sushi do this amazing char-grilled broccoli. Yeah. Um, which sounds like a random choice, but they, this is the most amazing broccoli you've ever eaten. Um, and then pudding would have to be, some. I have such a sweet tooth, would be something like a chocolate ganache or something chocolatey. Do you know what? I think yeah. we should be on death row together because then they could just cook the same meals at the same time. <laughs> anyway, uh, who's your favourite chef? Um, yeah, I, I don't really... I, I guess I have... I, based on the number of recipe books that I have at home, other than Jenny Tishy, <laughs> um, which I have a lot of your books, Thank I you. also have a lot of Jamie Oliver books. Um, and, yeah, I like that it's... You know, a lot of his meals are quite simple, quite easy, also healthy, quick um yeah and he's fun isn't he he's, he is fun know, accessible he's fun and light-hearted and yeah he's for the people and who is your biggest inspiration in what you do or otherwise oh, it's, yeah it's tricky so when I was growing up you know all my inspiration came from athletes and you know I was in the early, early in the 80s it was all about the middle distance runners the Sebco's and the Steve Crams and you know those guys on the track I used to love watching athletics so it was big inspiration and then in my sport there was some you know people in my sport who you would never know like Carolyn Brunet was a big inspiration but now yeah in terms of what I do now I think people like Brené Brown I really love you know she talks so much about the kind of leadership that I love to teach others about as well you know in terms of being authentic as a leader showing your vulnerability she just exposes herself and just talks from the heart and yeah and is teaching Wonderful. other people to to build that human connection yeah absolutely through leadership i i totally agree with you um where would you like to eat that you've not eaten yet oh there's so many restaurants in <laughs> london um i'm lucky to be on the doorstep of the city um and have eaten at some lovely restaurants, but I, ha- I haven't eaten at Sexy Fish. Okay. And lots of people tell me that that's really cool. And it's that Japanese, you know, sushi, Japanese food. Um, yeah, I love that. 
Japanese style cuisine. So that sounds like a great, that's on my list. Just written that one down. There's, there's tons though. <laughs> and um, who would be at your fantasy dinner party and why? Oh, goodness. Um, oh, tricky. So I'd have to have um, a comedian in there like Michael McIntyre. Yeah. Just to keep us entertained. Yeah. Um, I would have um, someone like Tom Hanks. Um, I'd love to put you just imagine you've had so many stories to regale us with and all the tales that he could tell and would be an amazing raconteur, wouldn't he? So, um, and he just seems like a really down to earth Hollywood star, yeah, um, yeah. film star. And then perhaps M- Michelle and Barack Obama. Great um, choices. Yeah. Really inspiring. Um, and again, just wisdom. And, and then finally I'd have a couple of athletes in there. Um, like Michael Jordan, greatest athlete of all time. And also um, Martina Navratilova, tennis player, just like, you know, the longevity that she had and the determination and the passion. And she's still there in the world of tennis, commentating and helping others. And yeah, just that high performance piece would have to be around my dinner table. That single mind, that that focus that she had. Brilliant. Um, Anna, this has been absolutely wonderful talking to you today. Um, Where can people find out more about you? Um, so I have two websites, AnnaHemmings.com, easy one to remember. And then my corporate um, work is uh, BeyondTheBarriers.co.uk or you find me on LinkedIn. Brilliant. You've been absolutely wonderful to listen to. I'm sure our listeners have learned a huge amount, not only about nutrition for sport. And I know we were talking about how things have changed, but also about your own story of chronic fatigue, which I think is fascinating and multifaceted. And people should look at it from multiple perspectives, but also um, high performance and how food and nutrition relates to that. Um, Wonderful talking to you today. Thank you very much for your time. And I uh, will say goodbye. But if anybody would like to um, download this podcast to listen to it, listen to any previous uh, version of this then just go to uh, river radio let's do lunch on anywhere that you normally download your uh, podcast so spotify apple wherever you normally go um you can listen of course to this